Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thank you for joining me this morning as we continue our study through 1 Kings, uh, looking at 1 Kings chapter 9. Uh, Before we get into chapter 9, last week, we saw Solomon dedicate the temple. He started by reminding the people of how good God is and has been, right? He then moved on uh, into a prayer over the temple where he first recognized God. He then asked God to dwell, knowing that God could not be held by the temple or, you know, uh, the temple could not hold God. And then he also asked that God hear his people in five different instances, all of them with the same theme of humbly repenting and coming back to God. Right? We then saw that the nation of Israel was was blessed by Solomon and, and they were blessed to bless the world. Right? Just like how we are blessed to be a blessing. And then Solomon ended by dedicating the temple with sacrifices and a feast. Right? And the people left rejoicing in God glad in their hearts over what God had done. So this morning, we're going to be looking at God appearing to Solomon for a second time to warn him. And and then we're going to look at an exchange between allies. And then finally, we're going to look at some of Solomon's other achievements. So before we start, let's pray and then we will dive on in. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, this book of First Kings. Lord, I just pray that as we go through this chapter this morning, Lord, that we'll really have open ears ready to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, help us to really learn from the good and the bad of Solomon's life. Lord, uh, I pray this on your name. Amen. So, first section this morning is a warning from God. It says in verses 1 through 9 of First Kings chapter 9, And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had, he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have, you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, to do according to all I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which I have exalted, everyone 
who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the God has brought all this calamity on them. So, in these first nine verses, we see God appearing to Solomon for a second time. And through this, I see two different things. First off, confirmation of Solomon's prayer over the temple. And then secondly, a warning. Right? So let's first break down this confirmation from God. But before we do that, I want to point this out. That God chose to come to Solomon after he had finished building the projects. Solomon has now been reigning for roughly 23, 24 years. And you may ask how I got this number. Well, remember, Solomon reigned three years before receiving wisdom from God. And then looking ahead at verse 10, it says uh, that at the end of 20 years after Solomon had built the temple and his house. So uh, he'd spent 20 years total building the house, his house and the house of the Lord, and the three years before wisdom. So it's about 23, 24 years. Right? And Solomon's reign overall will be 40 years. So he's now just over halfway done. Right now, knowing that he is roughly at this halfway mark, we see God comes to him to appear a second time. Right? God comes after Solomon has completed his greatest life's accomplishments. Right? You could say that God is using this moment to both confirm the prayer and also remind him where his focus should be. But looking at the confirmation, we see that God says, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, when we looked at Solomon's prayer, uh, at Solomon's prayer last week, we saw that it was a really detailed prayer. Right? It had covered instances, it asked God to dwell, it recognized how great God is, right? But I want to notice I want you guys to notice this. If the prayer had not been answered, it would have been none it would have meant uh, it was nothing. It was it just would have been fancy words. Right? Without the prayer being answered, it was just words. Just like how we talked about if God had not put his presence inside the temple. It would have just been a building, a fancy, beautifully made building, but a building nonetheless, right? God answering this prayer is a big part of this, right? This prayer would have just been, would have been nothing without an answer, right? And God doesn't just tell Solomon that he heard his prayer, but he goes on to add that he has consecrated the temple and put his name there forever. Now, if you don't know what consecrate means, it, it basically means to sanctify, to make holy, to set apart. 
right? God has made this temple his dwelling place. He has promised to hear every prayer prayed to the temple and in the temple, right? Solomon, he could build the temple, but only God could fill it with his presence and make it holy, right? But God also, he doesn't just confirm the prayer. He also goes on to remind Solomon where his focus should be. Now, this is the fifth time that God has brought up the point, keep me central, right? Follow my commandments, whether it be through David or through some advisor or through God himself. This is the fifth time. Now, there's only, there is, there is one thing I want to point out with this as it is brought up again. Solomon needed the reminder constantly. And now, especially as he has finished his building projects, right? These projects, which he spent the last 23 years building, right? He has spent the last 23 years keeping God at the central. I want to say central, not deep, but at the center. Right? And now he needs to be reminded to keep it that way. Now, would you get, I want to point this one out. Would you get a reminder if it was something you didn't need, right? An example, would your parents ask you to clean your room if your room was already clean? Would your teacher ask you to hand in your homework if your homework was already handed in, right? A reminder is just that, a reminder, Right? You don't get reminders if it doesn't apply to you, if it's not something that you need to do. Why would you set a reminder on your phone if it wasn't something you needed? Right. So what Solomon needs to be reminded of is follow after God. Keep him central. We know the how, where Solomon goes after this. The deep like despair and, and separation from God. And this tangent that he goes on when he goes through Ecclesiastes and like the latter part of his life, right? He needed this, right? It's up to him to choose whether he's going to follow after God, but he needs the reminder. Right? Now, the second thing I want to point out or that we saw in this section is the warning from God um, if the nation departs from him. This isn't specifically towards Solomon, but it's toward the nation. Now, I see a parallel here with the Garden of Eden. Remember when God said, you can't eat, you can eat of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? He gave them a warning. He says in Genesis 2, verse 17, but if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Right? Adam and Eve, they lived in paradise. Right? Free from sin. Sin wasn't even a, a, a thought in their mind. Right? And they had access to God. But they were warned, if they ate of the tree, they would die. Not necessarily die right away, but they would die. Now, what we see in 1 Kings is that if the people turn from God, this peace and prosperity that they are experiencing would vanish. It would disappear. It would no longer exist. Right? People will pass by and wonder why God has done this thing 
And the answer will be because the people forsook me before, because they followed after other gods. Right? Another thing is Adam and Eve would be cut off from paradise. Now, just as Adam and Eve would be cut off from paradise, Israel would be cut off from the promised land. We need to be wary of this. Right? We are to be examples to the world. You know, like it says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in your house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Israel was to be an example to the world. Right? Remember, we talked about that they were blessed to bless the world. I guess we need to do the same thing. We are blessed to be a blessing. We, we need to be shining a light on the darkness that is the world. Have you guys ever seen, uh, you know, when you have your bedroom is, is pitch black, all the lights are off. What happens when that door opens? Right, and the light from the hallway is visible. It lights the whole room. We're supposed to light the world. Right? And just like the nation uh, was to take heed of these words and follow after God and be an example, we too are to be an example. Right? How is your light? Moving on, looking at verses 10 through 14 we see uh, there's an exchange made. It says, uh, Now it happened at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold, as much as he desired. The king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, What kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. So as I already mentioned this morning, Solomon has now finished both the temple and his palace, and they took 20 years altogether. Right? So in these verses, we, see, we are seeing uh, what happens after the buildings are completed. Right? What we see is an exchange of some sort. Right? When we look back at the initial transaction made between Solomon and Hiram, we see no mention of gold. Right? But here... It's mentioned. Right, looking back at 1 Kings 5, verse 8, it says, Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you have sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. So, no gold mentioned. Also, Solomon has already paid and was paying Hiram for the labor and the supplies, right? Remember, he gave was giving um, wheat and oil yearly, a lot of it. So why now are we seeing 20 cities being given to Hiram?
Now I want to point this out. The wording is very tricky, right? When you try, when you translate it, all these different translations, they come up with a similar uh, wording, but it's very, but it's also different in a sense, right? You can look at our translation and it'll say, then hear him sent. Other translations will say, and hear him sent, which is the same. Whereas others will say, hear him had sent. I want to point this out. The idea that we are uh, of what is happening here is that Hiram sent him this gold, and in return he got twenty cities. That's the idea, right? So, and and what we see is Hiram decides to take a trip to see this new land, and and the and what he says is it did not please him. So he called the land Kabul which means good for nothing, waste or wasteland. Hiram still sends the gold, right? Even though he got the short end of the stick. So it's a really interesting transaction here. But out of these verses, I have a concern. And it, it regards Solomon. In order for Solomon... To get the gold, he had to give away portions of the promised land. I'm going to let that one sit there. He gave away portions of the promised land. Is that a good thing? No. You could say that he had mortgaged parts of the land. Remember that this promised land was a gift from God. right? We just saw earlier God warned the nation and in this warning... He mentioned the land being a gift. He said, Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. In order to get the gold, he gives away land. Now given, it was very likely 20 small villages, rather instead of like 20 like large cities, but it was still the promised land. So my question is, how are we stewarding what has been given to us? We've read the, pro the parable many times of the steward, right? You get the talents. Are we expanding what God's given us? Or are we uh, digging a hole, putting it in and waiting and waiting and just giving him back what he gave us? Solomon is giving away portions of the promised land. That's a problem. And that's only the beginning of what Solomon does. Right? It gets worse. Right? The promised land is given by God. Are we supposed to give away what God has given to us? It's like when you get a gift from somebody, is it's kind of like you feel bad if it's like your grandparent and then you like give away the gift that they gave you. Like you regift. Why why is Solomon regifting God's land? That's that's wrong, okay? But that's the beginning. Moving on, looking at the last section this morning, we're going to see some other achievements that Solomon made, or Solomon uh, did, right? Looking first at verses 15 through 19, we will be taking a look again at what the labor force that we had previously looked at uh, was made for, right? So this labor force... 
or looking at verses 15 through 19 first, it says, And this is the reason for the labor force, which King Solomon raised, to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and gave it to gave it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon be- built Gezer, Lower Beth Horon, Baleth, Tadmor, in the wilderness, and in the land of Judah. And all the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots, cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion. So this labor force, it was built, uh, it was it was made to build the house of the Lord, the temple, the palace of Solomon, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, three important cities and storage cities. Now we've already taken a lot of time a couple weeks to be exact, um, looking at the temple and then also briefly looking at the palace. So here we are going to focus more on the Milo. I'm going to explain what that was, the wall, the three cities and the storage cities. So the first on that list is a Milo. Now, in case anybody is wondering what a Milo is, um, I can say when it comes to what a Milo is, We don't have a clear idea. But what we do have is the original language to give us an idea. Right? So in Hebrew, the word meant a rampart or a mound. So, to our best of best of our ability to imagine what this is, it would it could have been literally raised up land to help fortify the wall. Now, in case you have never been to Jerusalem or Israel, which I don't know if many of you have, um, but Israel is a very, um, Jerusalem to be exact, is a very cliffy area. So to build the wall up, they are building land to fortify the wall. So that's very likely what it was, just a fortification for the wall. Now, in 2 Samuel we already see that there was a there was a Milo already built in Jerusalem when David David conquered Jerusalem. Then we also see that the there's a second time it's mentioned or another time mentioned here as Solomon is rebuilding it. And then Hezekiah he repairs it in 2 Chronicles. There's a couple other times where it's mentioned in Judges um but Basically, a Milo is just fortification for the wall, a land fortification. The next thing that we see built is the temple, or not the temple, <laughs> is the city wall. Now, I don't, I don't think I have to say how important a city wall is. You know, it's, it's a good point of security. It keeps enemies out, right? And you look at Nehemiah when he came back from captivity his goal was to help rebuild the wall and fortify the city, right? So a wall is a very important thing for an ancient city. The third thing that we see is that the labor force was used for was to build up three key cities. 
Now, these cities were Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer, all of which were prominent fortified cities because they were on important roads. Now, if you look at the um, excavations of all three of these cities, you'll find that the gates are very similar. They all have um, six stalls in them because they probably held a lot of military um, who could come in and warn Jerusalem if war was coming. So they were very important cities. They were on important roadways. Now, the one city that is actually focused on out of all three is Gezer, and is briefly focused on compared to the others. And um, fun fact, it actually wasn't under control by Israel until the time of Solomon, right? It was in the land of Egypt, in Israel, but the Canaanites still controlled it. We see that Gezer was actually conquered by Egypt. It says that, Saul, that Pharaoh... T- uh, had gone up and taken and burned it with fire and killed all the Canaanites and then gave it to his daughter as a wedding gift and as a dowry. So, uh, yeah, fun fact that it wasn't under control by Israel until this time. The last thing we see this labor force was used for was to build up storage cities, mainly for military purposes, right? For cavalry, for chariots. Um, And remember, I want to remind you guys that this time of Solomon was a time of peace and prosperity. But Solomon, he was was a good king. He was ready for war if it ever came knocking. Now, it never came when he was was king, but he was ready, which is admirable. Now, moving on, looking at verses 20 through 24, uh, we're going to look at... uh, who exactly was a part of this labor force. It says in 20 through 24, all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, so basically any ites, uh, that is their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had Uh, had not been able to destroy completely. From these, Solomon raised up forced labor, as it is to this day. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers, because they were men of war, and because, uh, because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, his commanders of his chariots and of his cavalry. Others were chiefs, of the, official, of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. So what we see first, uh, I want to first point out is the fact that the foreigners were still being forced to work. Remember, we looked at the labor force way back before the temple was built, and Solomon raised up 150,000 foreigners to quarry stones and to carry loads for the temple. And it says that to this day, they are still laboring. So to that day that they're living in, they were still laboring. Now, what we don't see is that the children of Israel are still laboring. 
The people of Israel seem to be free now after having been temporarily uh, drafted or forced into labor for the temple. Now, I want to point out a compromise here by Solomon, because this is just the second one. After uh, giving away some land, now he's compromising. One commentator put it this way. God strictly commanded that the remnants of these tribes be driven out of the land, not used as slave laborers in Israel. Solomon didn't make Israelites forced laborers but use them to oversee the remnants of the Canaanite tribes. Israel was called to drive out the Canaanites from the land of Israel, from the promised land. Yet, here, they kept some of them in. Right? We already know that Joshua's uh, crusade through the land of Israel, the promised land, wasn't fully successful it, 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 it was amazing but they stopped and there was a lot of canaanites and a lot of cities that they didn't take uh so they kept some of them in and here we see them using them as slave laborers now i want to connect this to this idea that we have of sin say you struggle with swearing. Now, swearing is a very simple one. I could go way deeper. Um, like, or like, say you struggle with pornography, but I, I'm going to go a tame here. Say you struggle with swearing. You decide to go watch a movie or listen to some music, and it has a couple swear words in it. Right? If you let it in gradually, you'll continually move the line. One day you're listening to a song that has no swears in it. Next day it's one. The next day it's two. Next, like weeks later, you're probably listening to songs that are just full of swear words. Right? You compromise is gradually moving the line. You're just like, but I really like this song. It's such a great song. The content of the lyrics is horrible. But the song, like the beat, the music, it's so great. Right? But it's compromise. Like, there's a lot of songs that I like that I have cut out because I can't stand the people singing them. I can't stand the lyrics of the song. But the song sounds so catchy, right? But we can't compromise, right? We're going to let these things in gradually, little by little, and it's going to gonna be bad. The same idea, the same thing happens with the Israelites, Right? They let the Canaanites live there. Yeah, they're slaves, but their culture and everything will gradually seep in and start pulling the nation away from God. Right? God told them to, to drive them out of the land. Just like we are to drive sin out of our lives. Right? You can't let a little in. It'll take over. It's a cancer. Right. Looking lastly, looking lastly here at verses 25 through 28 before closing, we see it says, uh, Now three times a year Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord, and, that, and he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Elath on the shore of the Red Sea, which is the in the land of Edom. 
Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So we've already seen so far in the in first kings how far spread solomon's fame and influence was in the world everybody in the ancient world wanted to come and hear his words of wisdom now what we see now is that solomon's doing so solomon is doing something that no leader in israel has ever attempted solomon is engaging in commercial gain which is not uncommon but he's also trying to conquer the sea. Solomon's reach is expanding. And we'll see that the further his reach expands, the further he gets from God. The more he lets in outside influences, the less God is in his life. Right? The, the more we let in influence from the world, the further we're going to be pulled from God. The world wants nothing to do with God. And Solomon will see just how far away he gets. And we already see, as we've seen this morning, that Solomon has let compromise in. He is he is going down the wrong path. Right? But we'll see that uh, starting, looking at more of that next week. So in closing this morning... Solomon, he was reminded to keep God central for the fifth time. Oftentimes, we are reminded of something because it is something we need. Right? Second, the nation was warned not to depart from God. The nation was meant to be an example to the world. They were meant to be set apart. Are we being examples to the world? Are we shining our light or are we hiding it under the basket? Just like the old song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Like hide it under a bushel, no, right? Are we letting it shine? Are we being an example to the world? Sorry for my horrible singing, by the way, Um, or mumbling, whatever you guys want to call it. Um, And thirdly, we are to cast out all sin. We're not to compromise. Right? Especially not to comp- compromise, just like Solomon compromised with the foreigners in the land. Right, Keeping a little bit in is bad. It's going to spread. Okay, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this book that we're going through in, the, in 1 Kings. Lord, I thank you for everything that we've been able to learn through Solomon's life already. Lord, I just pray that as we've gone, started to see some... Um, compromise in his life. Lord, I just pray that we uh, don't compromise on the things that you've told us in your word. Lord, help us to shine our light, not hide it. Um, Lord, help us to cast out sin, not keep it. Uh, Lord, when you remind us, Lord, we need we need constant reminders of your goodness of uh, uh, to keep you central, Lord. So I pray that as we go today that we will be reminded of you. Lord, help us to not compromise. Help us to live this life for you as an example to the world uh, of lives lived for you. Lord, I pray this on your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook page.